0: Section 35 of the Book of the Bush. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of the Bush by George Dunderdale. Section 35 Government Offices in the Bush. Satan finds some mischief still for idle hands to do. Although I had to attend at three courts on three days of each week, my duties were very light, and quite insufficient to keep me out of mischief. It was therefore a matter of very great importance for me to find something else to do. In Bush Townships, The art of killing time was attained in various ways. Mr. A. went on the street with a handball and coaxed some stray idler to join him in a game. He was a young man of exceptional innocence and died early, beloved of the gods. Mr. B. kept a pair of sticks under his desk in the courthouse and made a fencing school of the space allotted to the public. Some of the police had been soldiers, and were quite pleased to prove their skill in arms, and show how fields were won. As a result, there were more breaches of the peace inside the court than outside. Mr. C. tried to while away his lonely hours by learning to play on a violin, which he kept concealed in a corner between a press and the wall of his office. He executed music, and doubled the terrors of the law. Intending litigants stood transfixed, with horror, when they approached the open door of his office, and listened to the wails and long-drawn screeches, which filled the interior of the building and every passing dog sat down on its tail, and howled in sympathetic agony with the maddening sounds. But the majority of the officials condemned to live in the dreary townships tried to alleviate their misery by drinking and gambling. The police magistrate, the surveyor, the solicitor, the receiver of revenue, the police inspector, and the clerk of courts, together with one or two settlers, formed a little society for the promotion of poker, euchre, and other little games, interspersed with whiskies. It is sad to recall to mine the untimely end at which most of them arrived. Mr. D. was found dead on the main road. Mr. E. shot himself through the head. Mr F fell asleep in the bush and never woke and Mr G was drowned in a water-hole one officer was not quite so unfortunate as some of his friends his score at the crook and played became so long that he began to pass that hotel without calling polly the venerable landlady took offence at such conduct and was daily on the watch for him. When she saw him passing, which he always did at a rapid pace, she hobbled to the door and called after him, Hey, hey! Then the gentleman twirled his cane, whistled a lively tune, looked up, first to the sky, and then to the right and left, but never stopped, or looked back to Polly behind him. At last his creditors became so troublesome, and his accounts so inexplicable, that he deserted the public service, and took refuge across the Murray. Mr. H. fell into the habit of borrowing his collections to pay his gambling debts. He was allowed a certain number of days at the beginning of each month to complete his returns, and send in his cash. So he made use of the money collected during the days of grace to repay any sums he had borrowed from the public cash during the preceding month. But the cards were against him. One morning an inspector of accounts from Melbourne appeared unexpectedly in his office. In those days there were no railways and no telegraphs their introduction was an offensive nuisance to us. The good old times will never come again when we could regulate our own hours of attendance, take unlimited leave of absence, and relieve distress by having recourse to the government cash. When Grimes was Auditor-General, every officer was a gentleman and a man of honour. In the bush no bank account was kept, as there was no bank within fifty or a hundred miles, and it was an implied insult to expect a gentleman to produce his cash balance out of his pocket. As a matter of courtesy he expected to be informed by letter two or three weeks beforehand when it was intended to make an official inspection of his books in order that he might not be absent, nor taken unawares. When the inspector appeared, Mr. H. did not lose his presence of mind, or show any signs of embarrassment. He said he was glad to see him, which was a lie, hoped he had had a pleasant journey through the bush, asked how things were going on in Melbourne, and made inquiries about old friends there. But all the while he was calculating chances. He had acquired the valuable habit of the gambler and speculator, of taking about one thing while he was thinking about another. His thoughts ran on in this style. This fellow, he could not think of him as a gentleman, wants to see my cash. Haven't got any. Must be near five hundred pounds short by this time. Can't borrow it. No time to go round. Couldn't get it, if I did. Deuced awkward. Shall be given in charge. Charged with larceny or embezzlement. Or something. Can't help it. Better quit till I think about it. So apologizing for his absence for a few minutes on urgent business, he went out, mounted his horse, and rode away to the mountains. The inspector waited five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes. He made inquiries, and finding that Mr. H. had gone away, he examined the books and vouchers, and concluded that there should be a cash balance of more than four hundred pounds payable to revenue. He looked about the office for the cash, But did not find any. Then the police began to look for Mr. H. But week after week passed by, and Mr. H. was neither seen nor heard of. There were only two ways of leaving South Gippsland that could be considered safe. One was by sea from Port Albert, the other by the road over the mountains. If anyone ventured to desert, The beaten track, and tried to escape unseen through the forest, he was likely to be lost and to be starved to death. The only man ever known to escape was an eccentric farmer, a wandering outlaw of his own dark mind. As Byron so darkly expressed it, he deserted his wife one morning in a most systematic manner, taking with him his horse and cart a supply of provisions, and all the money he was worth. A warrant for his arrest was issued, and the police were on the lookout for him at all the stations from Port Albert to Melbourne, but they never found him. Many weeks passed by without any tidings of the man or his team, when one day he drove up to his own gate, unhitched his horse, and went to work as usual on inquiry it was found that he had gone all the way to sydney overland on a visit to an old friend living not far from that city it was supposed that he had some reason for his visit when he started but if so he lost it by the way for when he arrived he had nothing particular to say after a few days rest he commenced his return journey to South Gippsland and travelled the whole distance without being observed by the watchful police. When asked about his travels, his only remark was, "'Splendid horse! There he is between the shafts! Walked twelve hundred miles! Never turned a hair! Splendid horse! There he is!' but Mr. H. lacked the intellect or the courage to perform a similar fool's errand successfully. He rode up to the police station at Alberton, and finding from the officer in charge that he was wanted on a warrant, he supplied that want. He stated that he had been on a visit, for the benefit of his health, to a friend in the mountains, a rail splitter, who had given him accommodation in his hut, on reasonable terms. He had lived in strict retirement. For a time he was in daily and nightly fear of the appearance of the police coming to arrest him. Every sound disturbed him. In about ten days he began to feel lonely and disappointed, because the police did not come. "'neither they or anybody else seemed to be looking for him "'or to care anything about him. "'Heroic self-denial was not his virtue, "'and he felt no call to live the life of a hermit. "'He was treated with undeserved neglect, "'and at the end of four weeks he resolved that, "'as the police would not come to him, "'he would go to the police.' He unburdened his mind, and made a confession to the officer who had him in charge. He explained how he had taken the money, how he had lost it, and who had won it. It relieved his mind, and the policeman kept the secret of confession until after the trial. Then he broke the seal, and related to me confidentially the story of his penitent showing that he was quite as unfit for the sacerdotal office as myself. Mr. H., on his trial, was found not guilty, but the department did not feel inclined to entrust him with the collection or custody of any more cash. In succeeding years, he again served the government as state school teacher, having received his appointment from a minister of merciful principles. A reclaimed poacher makes an excellent gamekeeper, and a repentant thief may be a better teacher of youth than a sanctimonious hypocrite. End of Section 35